twists and turns continue. A week after a limp and disappointing loss at home to Exeter, Sell returns to the AJ Bell to make amends and did so with a pom, comfortably dispatching an underpowered and underwhelming Leicester Tigers side 32 points to 5 to record an important bonus point victory and move back up to 5th in the Premiership table. That win on Friday, combined with victories for Gloucester, Newcastle and Bristol, means Sale headed into their week off in a strong position for European qualification, even as the Premiership playoff picture begins to take a more defined shape. My name is Lewis, welcome back inside the Shark Tank, and joining me this week are my good friends Alex and James. Alex, how are you? I'm very well, thank you mate, all the better for a good result on the weekend. And James, how are you? Yeah, very good mate, I'm the same. Well, let's uh, let's start with that result on on Friday then, and I'll go to Alex first. Um, obviously, I mentioned in the introduction that we went into this game in a very sort of difficult context, having suffered quite a quite a poor defeat really to at home to Exeter, even if it was, as we said on last week's podcast, quite understandable. Alex, how important do you think the win over Leicester on Friday was in terms of? The, the push for the top six and, and potentially top four, but obviously as well on the back of that defeat that we'd suffered the week previous. Yeah, well, I think it makes the, the defeat against Exeter look um, more understandable when you sort of, you know, in the context of the season, a defeat against Leicester would have been absolutely, especially against this Leicester team, would have been absolutely unforgivable. So for us to come back and, you know, dispatch a, a Decent Leicester side, not a great one, but do it with such sort of, you know, by the end of the game, there was no chance Leicester were going to do anything. And I think, apart from that first 20 minutes, you know, where we start a bit slowly as as ever, um, we didn't really offer anything. Um, And I think, you know, we just, what's what's encouraging about this game is quite often our backs have sort of won us games through, you know, Solomon on the wing, etc. I think our forwards, well, everyone, it's obvious that our forwards won us this game. We just absolutely battered Leicester up front, and historically Leicester have had that strength up front in depth to survive these succession periods. And you know we have sort of you know never been able to compete with that. Whereas this game, we absolutely hammered them, and we hammered them with not even our you know first choice lucid in the side. So it's a massively encouraging result, both in terms of you know being able to do that to a team like Leicester. It's very satisfying after last year's result, but also I think it just you know shows that. To get a bonus point win, that's the sort of game where you could come away with a three-try win. Because, you know, we weren't playing that well. And in, it, we were against a team who were sort of slowing the game down. Whereas to come away with a bonus point win, it's just job done, isn't it? It's a really you know professional result. It sort of goes under the radar a bit in the context of the weekend with the Six Nations and everything. But actually, it puts us in a really strong position for the running. Yeah, I think that point that you made about it being a very professional result from Sale and being able to kill the game off on 70 and 75 minutes and, and get over the line, not only uh, in terms of pulling out a victory and, and getting the four points, but just a little bit extra to get a fourth and fifth try and completely kill the game off and obviously pick up an extremely important bonus point as well because I think that is one of the most important contexts we have to look at this game in is that coming into Friday's fixture, both Sale and Leicester were on 34 points. And now there is actually a tangible gap between Sale in 5th and Leicester who dropped down to 10th with all the results that are happening. And I think if you look at the table, which we're going to do, um, I think, quite frequently uh, on this week's podcast, is if you if you look at how the playoff picture is starting to take shape, you have Sale as, as the best of the rest, almost, in 5th, and off the back of the win over Leicester. And you now have Leicester propping up that, that group of five or six teams who are all still in contention for the top six, but with the game weeks ticking down as we near the end of the season. Uh, James, I want to pick up on something else that Alex mentioned um, when giving his answer, and it's about the Six Nations window. How important do you think that is in looking at the context of, of Friday night's game and, and the difference it made both to the sales team and the Leicester team uh, in terms of who they were able to put out and obviously ultimately affect a, affect a result? Well, I mean, let, let's not mess about. Tigers were missing something like 20-odd players, uh, first-team squad players. So they, they, they were really piecing a, a team together, people playing out of position. Um, you know, they, they've been playing like, reasonably well even throughout the window. Uh, they managed to obviously beat Wasps the week before, despite that. But I think that, um, you know, our uh, you know, our experience is completely different. I mean, we lost a couple of players to Scotland, 
Um, but uh, you know, with someone like Aaron Reed coming in and playing so well, we didn't miss McGuigan so much. Um, you know, but when you look at some of the star quality that the Tigers were missing, they have the game changers in their team, and not just people in the window either. People like Matt Tamura, etc., who they were missing, they're the ones that really make them tick. We mentioned on last week's pod in, in my preview that they're not the same team without Youngs, Ford, and Tamura, and I think that showed. And as soon as they went down a man in the pack, basically, it was always going to be a hard day at the office for them. So I think we won when we had to win. I mean, if we hadn't won that game, there would have been massive questions asked. Um, I think if Tigers had had someone sent off, then we would have still won and it would have been a scraped win. It would have been like the Saints game or the Worcester game. Um, And I would have just taken the win and let's move on. Um, having got the man sent off, I think that was a difference for us going on to get the bonus point. And uh, I think we might see it there for us, you know, a changing point in a sense. It's got us really back into contention for, for top uh, six, definitely. Top four's a little bit further away with Gloucester winning, but still within reach. So we're all in agreement then that this was very much a professional result by sale, taking advantage of a depleted yeah. Leicester team uh, and picking up uh, an invaluable bonus point win. But that's our view. And obviously every week we ask you, the listener, to chime in with your views on the weekend's results with your three-word reviews. Uh, and just to reel off uh, a couple of the ones that have been sent in, and big thank you as always to everyone who did contribute. Andy Taylor, uh, recent success undeniable. Simon Holman, frenzied league finale. Kieran Critchard, dominant pack performance. Alex Etherington, great second half. Lee Watson, Dorian, massive impact. And Mike at mycore 72 Top four beckons. I do enjoy uh, Mike's uh, optimism, but it is there is no doubt in that sale are now looking up, and a massive part of that comes from beating Leicester so comprehensively. And the reason why that happened is, I think, something that we're going to touch upon a lot now. But I want to go back to what what you said, James, about the Calamaphoni red card and how you saw that as the difference in the game. You compared Friday's result a little bit to the Worcester. Um, and Northampton games that Sale had played earlier in the season where Sale sort of scrapped and, and fought their way to sort of narrow victories over uh, teams in and around them in the table. But do you think that moment, and if so, can you elaborate a little bit more on why you think that moment with Calmaphony getting sent off for uh, clearing out uh, Josh Beaumont from a rook uh, illegally without, uh, without, uh, without wrapping his arms? Can you elaborate on why you think that was the key moment in terms of killing the game off uh, from Sale's perspective? Well, I think we'd just gone moved to 15-5, correct me if I'm wrong, just before that. So I think what that did is it just stretched it out. And when you go down a man, um, then I just think that's asking too much. You know, players in their heads, they know they're missing a lot of players. They're away from home. They're down to 14 men. They know there's no way back. So then it's just damage limitation. And that's a completely different kettle of fish. When you see teams win with 14 players... It's either usually on level pegging or they're slightly ahead um, and they just up their work rates and you know sometimes you get these miracle things. It doesn't happen very often though, even then. So I think being ten points down away from home at sale, you know, they weren't playing well either. I mean, you know, let's face it, I mean, up to that point it was pretty disjointed from the Tigers um, players and, and the pack was was not on top. You know, physically we were definitely on top, I think, in the game. Um, we're just making some errors in the backs, which is why I compared it to the, the Worcester and the, and the Saints game. It was it was scrappy. It's just that our expectations are now higher because we've had some. We've actually played well in a few games, mm. whereas when we play Saints and Worcester, I mean, we were just a win any win would do kind of thing, and our expectations were much lower on on how we were piecing our attack together. Well, one thing I think that is important to mention as well is that off the back of that Calamaphoni red card, it's not off the next phase of play but Sale's fourth try which effectively put the game out of reach and scored a bonus point comes off the back of the platform that Sale were afforded following Calamaphoni being sent off and conceding the penalty and Sale being able um, to have possession in the Tigers 22 and obviously the Sharks went through a number of phases there was the chance where Sam James spins the ball out wide and Luke James and Solomona sort of run into each other mix up and Solomona gets held up but then obviously off the back of the scrum that came out of Solomona being held up, Sale were obviously able to then pick up, uh, you know, to, to, to uh, roll over and, and pick up a try. And that's 
the sort of thing that we've not necessarily seen consistently from Sale. Smelling that blood in the water, pardon the pun, with a player being sent off or in the bin and, and having great field position, and actually seeing the Sharks not be successful on that fir- on that first run of play, the first you know set of phases, but actually to recycle the ball or to regain possession after a stoppage, and then do enough to get the the, the try, the penalty, whatever, and really make the error from the other team cost them dearly. Yeah, and I think when you look at the game, it's sort of it's almost comparable to that um, the England Italy game over the weekend in that sort of it was sort of a no win situation for Sale because you know we're sitting here going we've won thirty two five at home against Leicester but really we we wouldn't have expected anything less especially the way the game turned out and as you say that red card it's quite you know Calvin is one of Leicester's um, biggest players really and he was probably approaching the sort of most influential player on the pitch because I think they were saying in commentary he'd started 25 games in a row or something mm. he's like top of the um, I think he's definitely top of the carrying charts in the whole premiership yeah so he's yeah. He's, he, he's a big player and it's it's one of those where as, as you say you know when you lose that player and you're away from home and you're already down and you're having a torrid time in the league etc 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 it becomes really hard so it was a bit of a no win but that's all you can ask as a sale fan. You know, you turn up on a Friday night and you watch us with a bonus point win. It's very hard to come away from that and go, I'm not happy with that. Because it's sort of, what more do you want? You know, yes, we want attacking running rugby. But at the end of the day, you can only beat what's put in front of you. And so, you know, that's why I'm drawing a parallel with England and Italy. Because you look at it and you go, we've done our job. We've, you know, there's been some, there's been some good bits. And I think Sam James looked... Um, as if he was getting better in attack again um, after last week when we were a bit stagnant against the Exeter defence. Obviously, a very different defence, but you know he's he's making those sort of calls. You know, he's throwing those balls over the top. And yes, it got a bit confused between James and Solomona, but it's the right decision from Sam James to throw that ball over. Um, you know, Cipriani does that, and Solomona picks it out of the air and scores, and it's on BT Sport straight away, isn't it? Um, so, you know, there's little positives you can take from it. And obviously there's improvement points, but I think those improvement points are sort of, you have to give it the context of you're against a team who are just scrapping and it's never going to be anything other than a scrappy victory in that case, is it? Yeah, and I think that's what's most encouraging about this result for Sale is that at times neither team played particularly well. But when push came to shove, you saw a significant effort from the Sale forward pack in getting the better of the Tigers pack. And we see that with a couple of tries late on where obviously the Tigers are down a man, but the sale pack just pushes them over and they're able to pick up a, you know, the, the try from Beaumont from falling over the line. And then obviously De Klerk is able to um, snipe around the back of the rook, uh, sorry, back of the scrum for the fifth try. And just these, these little things, obviously, and uh, building off the fact that Tigers are down a man. And, and that's what you want to see. It's, sometimes you want to see the sale come out and play you know, extremely exciting attacking rugby and sometimes just play what's in front of you. And that's what Sale did very, very well. And we saw we saw that a little bit with the forwards. And we also saw that with the backs as well, who I thought in spurts looked very, 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 very good. Um, and a big part of that was Sam James. And I thought James O'Connor and Van Rensburg had a very good game. And it, it wasn't the perfect performance. The conditions, the nature of the game, a lot of other factors will have influenced that. But I thought coming away from, from the result on Friday night, we can say the pack turned up and did their job. The backline turned up and actually looked very good. Um, and overall, we were able to just twist twist the knife and, and dispatch Leicester quite comfortably. And, and it is a bit of a no-win scenario because in, on paper, that is exactly what we should have done. But to actually see Sale do it and do it you know, well and, and obviously never really give Tigers even a chance of getting back into the game just made it all the more sweeter and makes me very, very encouraged when I'm looking at the running for the end of the season and on what this team might still be able to accomplish. Yeah, I think uh, we'll, we obviously go in um, to the running later on, I think, because I, I think there is some interesting matchups in that. Um, but just to like carry on with the, on the game, I think... As you, you know, those individual performances, for me, Aaron Reid had a really good game, as I say, Sam James, and then we've obviously got sort of the perk of Morozov. Um, but I was just wondering whether you boys had any individual players who you wanted to pull out from, from Friday night. 
It was interesting to see um, James O'Connor go to fullback when Redpath came on. It's the first time we've seen that this season. So I don't know if we'll see a bit more of that. I mean, it makes sense to me. Because obviously, if McGinty's coming back, Sam James just on fire. You, you know, you'd expect Sam James to play um, 13 now. Um Maybe it's time for O'Connor to revisit life at, at 15. You know, we've been without Ashton either through international call-ups, bans or injury. I think we just have to face up to that fact. Luke James done a sterling job there. Sam James done a sterling job there. But they are definitely better somewhere else. But James O'Connor has played international rugby there. So we have to consider that. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, I thought Morozov was a absolute revelation. You know, each week he's got better. If he improves that much each week, then he's going to be the best in the world, not too <laughs> not too future. And it really sort of bodes well for next season because, you know, you know, we're going to have three really good loose heads, so we're going to be able to properly rotate and keep them fresh, uh, which is fantastic. Um, but Beaumont had a really, really good game at eight, a really good game, uh, controlled the, the ball at the base of scrum as, as well as he could, but also carrying off the back. Getting his head in the wrong place, putting his head into uh, Califomophoni's uh, shoulder was helpful as well. Um, so yeah, there was, I mean Ben Curry had his best game for quite some time. So I mean, without going through absolutely everyone, <laughs> um, I, I did think it would, there was a lot of good individual performances actually, and it was just again individual errors that just just let us down a little bit. You know, people just slightly overrunning and, and things like that, or the pass not going straight to hand or whatever it might be. But generally. There wasn't anybody I thought who had a a poor game. Yeah, I think there's a couple of names that that you mentioned there, James, that I do want to elaborate on a little bit. I thought Sam James had a very good game again at ten. We say every week we've seen his evolution as a, a decision maker at the position, and that was definitely the case again. But what I, what I did notice actually is that last week we spoke about how his in play kicking wasn't necessarily what you'd want from a top four, top six starting Premiership fly half. I think there's still a ways to go and you can see that sort of centre outside back mindset in some of the decisions he's making but I thought overall his kicking out of hand was was very strong on Friday and yeah. if you go if you look at the first try that comes about off the off the back of James dinking the ball over uh, into the backfield and it's not necessarily a great kick because it doesn't really give Aaron Reid or whoever else, the chance to collect it. But what it does do is bounce very, very uh, neatly near the uh, near the dead ball area, which forces Jonah Holmes to take the ball over under pressure, sail in the five-metre scrum, and then obviously Bryn Evans scores a couple of phases after after the scrum. And it's just little moments like that where it's, it's, not, it's about playing territory. And I thought that was a great example of James doing it. There was also the opportunity a little bit earlier in the... a little bit later in the first half where... Um, James O'Connor uh, had a fantastic opportunity. Sorry, this was before the uh, before the first try where James gets the ball outside channel, tries a little grubber kick through. It's actually blocked. Uh, cell regather, go through a couple of phases, and James tries it again after uh, De Klerk uh, sets him free on the outside. It's a great little kick, and it sets up James O'Connor. And James O'Connor um, goes to gather the ball and unfortunately spills it. But it's just a really nice little bits of decision-making like that that we saw, especially in the first half when the game was a little bit tighter and you needed to move the other team around a little bit more we're starting to see that a little bit more from Sam James I think it was really really encouraging to see and uh, definitely something worth highlighting yeah I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because uh, you can see him growing in confidence he's actually running this team if you actually watch him he's pointing where everyone's going he's calling all the moves he's telling forwards when to go in he's really starting to control this side and uh, it's, it's fantastic to see and it takes the pressure off us you know, needing to bring through Kieran Wilkinson you know we bring him through when, when he's ready we do have somebody who's a, who's a premiership standard 10 there with Sam James and, and I wonder you know I mean this year he's definitely played 10 or 15 more you know than he's played at 13 so what he's doing for the club must be really thankful you know and outside the clerk who's obviously got you know the X factor um, you know Sam James and John O'Ross yeah, they're going to have to be on that, that shortlist for player of the season. You know, for any player to play three positions to a Premiership standard in, in a season, and for that team to be fifth in the league, especially when it's like you know decision making positions as well, like ten and fifteen, you, you, you've got to say this guy's class. 
You've said that very perfectly there, actually, James, because that brings me on to another player who's played multiple positions for sale this year, who I thought had a very good game, which was Josh Beaumont, who you mentioned before. And obviously we've seen, again, Beaumont's maturation in terms of being the line-out caller and um, playing at, at number four uh, week in, week out for sale. But obviously with Strauss not being available this week, Beaumont moved to, to number eight and I thought he was absolutely fantastic again. And, and we, I mentioned earlier about how sales pack had the ascendancy or able to rumble over. There was just a number of instances where Beaumont is controlling the ball extremely well at the back of the scrum. And it's because of that that we're able to force a penalty try or obviously in the case of his own try, get the ball to the line and then simply fall on it. And there's just a num- and going back to that, that, that very first try that Sale scored, that all starts because Sale controlled the ball well in the scrum. Beaumont picks the ball up and he's able to make a very, very strong run and immediately make a net positive impact in terms of metres made. And that eventually sets up Brent Evans' try. And uh, akin to Sam James, there's a lot of little moments like this which in, on another week wouldn't necessarily show up on the score sheet or wouldn't necessarily you know, feature significantly in the build-up to a try. And this week, what we saw, in addition to Van Rensburg, O'Connor and, and then all the other players who've, who've been brought in, we actually saw a really strong performance from a lot of the, the lads who've um, been with this side for a number of years and are now stepping up into those senior leadership roles, both in terms of which positions they're playing on the field and the impact they're making on games. The only other player I want to mention um, before I ask, uh, ask Alex the same question uh, it's just Rohan Janzi van Rensburg. I thought James O'Connor had a really, really good game, um, but I thought this is actually probably one of van Rensburg's most consistent games we've seen so far. Just in terms of again those minimal, uh, those minimal gains, those minimal impacts that that you have uh, that ultimately decide, uh, at least at the time, uh, a very close game. And again, the first try it starts because van Rensburg has a fantastic crash ball run where he bounces off three players, and that gets the Leicester uh, defensive line. Uh, moving backwards, and it gets Sale moving forwards. Uh, and it was the same again uh, a little bit later on towards the end of the game when you're seeing that the Leicester players are getting a little bit tired and there's a little bit more space defensively. You've got Van Rensburg, who's had a fantastic game just play, just running down that 10 and 12 channel uh, and just making positive metres every single time. And obviously that then sets up the likes of Morozov and Beaumont and whomever else um, to pick and go around the corner and obviously really start to put the Leicester um, defensive line uh, under pressure. Um, it feels like he's gone through most of the team there, Alex, but is there anyone that he wants to, to, to make mention of? Potentially, obviously, uh, Aaron Reid, who I don't think we've talked about quite enough just yet. Yeah, um, well, let's start there. I, I thought Reid, I think Reid's development um, from where he was a year ago has been really impressive to come through from you know when he was starting in the LB Cup sort of roughly this time last year probably he didn't look ready for sort of first team premiership rugby with all due respect and he looked talented but he just looks like you know he he wasn't quite physically mature enough to be at that level I mean to now be where he is and you know be making runs creating you know opportunities breaking defences he's got absolute gas I think what sort of encourages me about Reid is that he's just got that natural pace and ability to beat a man, and then you know you can you can learn the other things. And I think he just needs to pick up that final five meters. You know, it's like getting over that try. In fairness, he's against um, the one way he gets brought down five meters away just before Morozov's try. He's against Jonah Holmes, who's absolutely rapid. Um, but it's you know those sort of um, tries are the ones where Denny will finish it. And I think having Denny as sort of someone in the team with him can only help. It definitely seems like there's a there's a mentor sort of role with Solomona and Reed. Those two seem to get on very very well uh, on the field. Um, but actually, yeah, just just on that try, uh, that build up to to, to that try. Um, obviously, that starts because I think Reed he's the one who gets the inside ball from James and makes the initial half break. But it's it's the awareness to to realise. He's been brought to ground, but he's not been held, and he can just get up. And actually, he does it so quickly that I think it's Joe Ford and, and another one of the Leicester backs don't realise what he's doing, <clears throat> and he just runs straight uh, straight between them. But then, when he gets to Holmes, to, to get to the point where he's at the try line, he comes up with a fantastic like double step on Holmes. Yeah. And it doesn't, ne- like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean he get means he gets over the try line. But what it does is actually force Holmes to back off a little bit and make the tackle ten or fifteen meters 
uh, further back. And it's it's little moments like that. It doesn't necessarily come off exactly as he intended it to, but it's a fantastic step to at least gain a few more yards uh, and a few more metres and make uh, an already significant contribution even more significant because it's just a fantastic move that buys himself a little bit more time and space and obviously as well gets the, gets the team a lot closer to the try line. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, he's, he's shown that all season this season, I think. And, you know, that's why he's nominated for LB uh, Cup Breakthrough Player, not LB Cup, whatever it's called these days. Um, so, yeah, that's really impressive. And it's really, the amount of depth we've got on our wings now is, you know, I mean, you're looking at Paolo Dogger, who two years ago we were going, he's going to be, you know, the next Jason Robinson. Um, was sort of the, the way people like me tend to exaggerate things we're talking about him. Um, <laughs> For him to you know be on the bench, we've then got Reed, Solomon, and McGuigan. Yard still to come back from injury. It's just it's it's a great stop to have there, but also I think it's the right blend of sort of you know age and experience. That McGuigan, you know, top end of that, Solomon are sort of edging up there, although still very much in the prime of his career. Yard, who's you know again a little bit older, but you know is I think we've got we're yet to see the best of Marlon Yard still truly and we have seen some bloody great stuff from him and then two young kids in reading the dog it's, it's an exciting time um, on the wing mm. to back up you two on uh, a number of players Beaumont I thought it's fantastic I really like him at eight I think he gives us a lot of mobility a lot of pace off the back of the scrum that we don't get with Strauss and you know he gives us something a bit different in terms of his handling as well I think um, I do really like him in that position Um Fully agree on Sam Jones. Uh, Van Rensburg, again, that sort of slow burn that he did in the uh, in his loan period where he started off and we weren't sure and then he really accelerated into form, um, as did Dupree, I think, uh, in his loan period. I think we're seeing that now again as he's coming back from injury and I'm excited to see where that goes. That centre partnership is going to be incredibly exciting. Um, just a shout-out to Curtis Langdon off the bench, who I thought had another good little cameo and continues to beat players like I don't know he's got the step of Jordan Lama <laughs> mate that's extraordinary um, I mean I probably won't go that far but I do think he's <laughs> himself really really well um, one player that we've not mentioned seeing as we've listed pretty much the whole team is, is Faf de Klerk. We he usually gets a mention I think it's worth just pausing a little bit on Faf because I don't think he had his best game in a self shirt he probably should have got a red card uh, for taking somebody out in the air and got away with a yellow. Uh, I think if it had been Will Cliff, probably been a red. Yeah, just, <laughs> just quickly, so we're all in agreement on that, that that was a pretty dangerous bit of play that definitely warranted at least a yellow card. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think on the letters of the law, we've seen we've seen those sent off for red. Mm. So I think um, considering that was who it was and in the position he was, I th- and with war on the bench, I do think that could potentially be another turning point who knows yeah I mean it, I think it was it was reckless I think if you watch it back you can see his eyes are firmly on the ball but I think yeah. in that context you probably shouldn't be running full pelt if you if your eyes aren't firmly on both ball and player and, and knowing sort of what was happening so yeah I mean I think it was it was no malice but I think it was a bit reckless and definitely yeah. warranted a card he, he wasn't he wasn't Going out to hurt him, or whatever, but it was reckless play, and you, and you know, if I think if he'd landed on his on his you know pet, he would have been uh, Faf definitely would have been sent off. So I think there was I think there was that. Then there was the uh, try that he scored, which would usually be a highlight. But if he hadn't have scored it, Solomonian would have kicked the shit out of him because all he had to do was pass it, and Solomonian was incompletely unmarked. So I don't know what was going on there. And then, of course, statistically, he missed every single kick of goal. Um, yeah, that's... which. I don't remember the last time that, um, that that we sort of missed every single one at goal, but talking about stats, perhaps Alex could share a few with us. Good time to move on to that, isn't it? Yeah, that was my favourite stat. Zero conversions, zero penalty goals on both sides. Um, I don't know when the last time that happened was, but I'm sure someone else out there um, would be able to find out. So just just a quick question on that then. So at least from a sale perspective, how many attempts at goal did we miss on fri- uh, on Friday? Uh, let me check. Well, we missed... Um, five. I've got Faf is missing five and Red Path is missing one. So that's, uh, that's well, six. I mean, opt out. shouldn't say I have. Yeah. Um, yeah, not great, to be fair. 
um, just I don't know. It's it's the sort it's the sort of issue that you would expect when you go into a season with one recognised kicker in your squad who's notoriously prone to injury. It's almost as if we could have predicted it. Anyway, I'm not going to get upset about it because I've got upset about it enough already. Um, right, stats. Um, a weird kind of stats week. We're 50% possession in territory each. Pretty even game. Leicester actually had the better of us in quite a few areas. Beat more defenders, um, conceded less penalties, kicked the ball away less, had a much better tackle percentage. They were 84% to our 80%. Um, one more line outs. And... You know, it's a bit of a strange one, but then we made more metres. We made 372 to 316 um, off a similar number of carries, 95 for us, 88 for them. So we're sort of up at four metres per carry on, on average, and they're down at two and a half. Um, so that was probably the, the difference. We were a bit more incisive. You know, we've got we've got the likes of Reed making the break, Solomon, Van Rensburg batting three people. And I don't think they ever really got there with that, um, other than the first sort of. 10 minutes when Oliver Feller goes down the left ring. Um, other interesting points, um, I think defensively, actually not great, but some individually very good performances. Um, James Phillips with 11 tackles, non-missed. Johnny Ross, 10 tackles. Uh, ben Curry, 11 tackles. And then in the backs, James O'Connor, um, shout out with seven tackles, one missed. Um, pretty good pretty good return from him at 13, which is usually a notoriously difficult position to defend. Probably uh, offset all this with the fact that Leicester didn't have a massive amount of attacking play. Um, pretty poor from our sort of inside backs uh, in terms of tackles. We, so we missed 26 as a team, made 105. Um, key culprits, uh, Rohan missed five. Uh, Faf missed four, Sam James missed three, and Bryn Evans missed three. So, um, just, I, I don't really get that. Um, you know, it's it's a strange one. I don't, I don't know what's going on there, whether that's, you know, Ro, Rohan especially, I think, might be one of those sort of, he's trying to bounce people off and he's going down as a missed tackle, even though he's, you know, pushing them backwards or stopping the momentum. Um, but, it, you know, it, 80% tackle success rate and only conceding five points. Yeah, this probably says a lot about Leicester's sort of ineptitude in attack, I think. This is probably a conversation for another day, but on Van Rensburg's tackle count and missed tackle count, it would be interesting to see how our defensive structure changes with Van Rensburg uh, playing at 13 or playing at 12 with someone like Sam James playing at 13. Because obviously, I think having that, that dominant carrier and dominant tackler in Van Rensburg in the middle, it'd be interesting to see how how our defence adapts to that, rather than having, let's say, uh, Luke James and Sam James, or Luke James and James O'Connor, like we saw a little bit earlier in the season. Because it might, obviously, in, it, as we look for sort of explanations as to why we see things like that, it might be a case that Van Rensburg is the one to make the first big collision. And even if it isn't necessarily bringing someone down, that's when... The, the sales sort of pincer style of defence, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, sort of comes in and then you've got your support your support defence uh, coming around the corner to, to help offset the uh, the attack. That's just, just something that obviously I think would be interesting to sort of, um, you know, perhaps a little bit later down the line, get, and get a perspective on how exactly that works with the very different style of players in that, uh, in that 12 and 13 channel. Yeah, well, I think it's it's sort of Rohan and Faf probably similar in that defensive strategy of sort of get out there, try and hit them, and if you don't hit them, you're tackling them behind the going line anyway, so it's not a massive loss. And I do think you know structurally our defence was pretty sound. I mean, Leicester didn't offer a lot, but we didn't really look in any danger apart from as we say that first try, which was just a bit of a freak and a slow start. Didn't really look in any danger, so it's yeah, it's a bit of an anomaly. Um, I do think that. Faf and Rohan particularly are probably victims of the way the stats are measured. Um, but overall, you know, a slightly slightly disappointing defensive turnout. But again, we conceded five points, so, you know, who cares? Um, Attacking-wise, um, some pretty good performances. Aaron Reid, uh, we've mentioned, 55 metres off three carries for an average of 18.3 metres, which is the high in the game. That's an impact uh, player so- right there. Three carries, 55 metres. Yeah. <laughs> 
Denny Solomone, 56 metres off seven carries. Um, Luke James, 64 metres off six carries. Uh, 36 of those from kick return as fullback, uh, which I always like to caveat with, but still a pretty decent return. Um, Josh Beaumont, as we've mentioned, uh, 29 metres off seven carries, which I think is a massive, um, a massive sort of contrast with Josh Strauss, who tends to sort of make 10 metres off. 10 carries, you know, he is a much heavier carrier Strauss, and that can be important but when you've got the likes of Ross and Phillips doing that for you anyway, I do think Beaumont giving you that something different is quite useful, um, and then also a shout out to Johnny Ross with 11 carries for 22 metres, and Bryn Evans making 31 metres on 4 carries, which is also the kind of start you like to see, but it is a very Bryn Evans sort of start, isn't it? Um, Penalties conceded, sale conceded, nine in the game, uh, it's less than seven, not massively, uh, nothing massively to pull out of here, um, one scrum um, and then one sort of team conceded at the scrum, which was slightly, you know, when we were so dominant in the scrum, um, a bit unexpected, but when you look at the scrum stats, we won 100% of our own scrums, so again, you can't, you can't sort of complain at that, and we actually, um, Leicester lost one of theirs, so... On balance, uh, nothing massive in the penalties. Turnovers, slightly frustrating. I think we talked at the start about sort of giving up the ball a little bit too easily. Um, we conceded 15 turnovers. Um, carry out that, less conceded 21. So they literally just kept giving us the ball back. Uh, but five of those were drop balls, and five of those were lost in a rook or a mall. So either at the breakdown or you know uh, being held up. So. Um, a little bit of stuff to work on there, but nothing massive. And then, yeah, just to go to set pieces, uh, as I said, 100% of scrum time. And line outs, not too bad, 9 out of 10. Curtis Landon, 2 for 2, which is good to see because um, I think his throwing is coming on, to be fair. Um, and if he can get his throwing down, then his loose play is so good that I think we're, we've got a pretty special player on our hands. And uh, Rob Webber, 7 from 8, which you'll, you'll take any day of the week. Um, I was interested to see, actually, I think it's on the Premier Rugby stats when I was looking for. I think Johnny Ross is up there as, like, third most line-out takes in the Premiership or something, which is mad when we consider we've got Bryn Evans. Um, <laughs> so just a little strange one to, um, to end on there. But overall, statistically... Um, Strange that we didn't sort of dominate the game more, given we won 32-5, but I don't think there's any major issues to pull out of there, and some pretty good individual performances. Uh, yeah, just to wrap up the stat segment, I've got one stat that I wanted to mention. Um, 61 minutes for Valerie Morozov this week. So we're starting to see his usage just creep up, just that little bit, week by week. And obviously everyone uh, seems to have joined me on the Morozov hype train in terms of... Uh, uh, him coming in as a mid-season impact sub, so really uh, interesting that uh, he's getting a little bit more game time with uh, with Sale. Yeah, and I think oh, just another shout out to our uh, props on the bench, Tom Bristow and Joe Jones, because I, I genuinely think quietly they both had pretty good games. I mean, Jones came on after 44 minutes, and you know the scrum looked absolutely solid uh, after he came on, and Bristow's coming on and doing a job every week when Morozov's coming on, and you know Morozov is making that sort of impact. He's a new player. But I do think, to be fair to Bristow, quietly, he comes on, he just does his job. He never looks weak at the scrum, he never looks unstable. And, you know, that's exactly what you want from a loose head coming, off on, coming on on, you know, 40, 50 minutes or whatever to just stabilise the scrum, hit up from, make a few carries and not miss any tackles. And for the last few weeks, every time I've looked, our forwards coming off the bench aren't missing tackles, just putting in a defensive shift and then getting on with it. So... Yeah, just a quick shout-out to those two because I don't think we've really covered them and I think quietly they're doing a really good job. Well, with sales, depth and expanded first-team squad obviously making a, a significant impact uh, in first-team games now, obviously it's given Sale, as we mentioned earlier, a bit of a push up the table and actually with no game next week, we wanted to sort of round off the podcast this week with a little bit of chat about how we see the running uh, for Sale. So obviously we keep mentioning uh, that obviously it's an important couple of weeks for the Sharks. There is the European Challenge Cup quarterfinal against Connacht upcoming. And there is also obviously now a very genuine chance of finishing not only in the top six and potentially finishing in the top four. Although obviously with Gloucester beating Quinns at the weekend, uh, the Sharks are now seven points back of Gloucester in fourth. So that win was very important in terms of helping to solidify that uh, playoff picture a little bit. And it does seem that there are now four teams that are quite clearly ahead of everyone else. 
but the other eight positions in the league, effectively, are all still to play for. And obviously, we've said a few times now that the Sharks are in pole position as they go into their week off. And it could be a very, very exciting end to the season. And James, obviously, we're not going to look directly at a preview for a game. We're going to do the Newcastle preview on next week's podcast. But I wanted to get your thoughts first on what we can sort of expect uh, in terms of uh, the running for sale and why a, uh, a few people around the sort of rugby sphere are very quietly talking about how Sailor are in a very, very good position um, to finish the season extremely strongly. So I just wanted to get your, we'll get your thoughts on that and where some of that chatter is beginning to come from. Well, I think if you look at our running, um, putting aside the Connacht game, which is exciting to be a knockout for Europe, you know, we've got uh, three away games, that essentially the three you'd say, bottom-of-the-table sides, Newcastle, Worcester and Bristol. So you say that they're all winnable. And then we've got three home games against people who are either in and around us or, or you'd expect to pick up a home win. So Harlequins, Bath and Gloucester come to the AJ Bell. And I think you know all six of those are, are, are winnable. I think if you get four out of six, you'll definitely be in the top six, no question. Uh, you probably will be with three out of six, touch and go, but as long as you pick up bonus points in all of the others and a couple of try bonuses here or there, then I think that that'll be enough top six. And if you win five or, or, or six out of six, then you're going to even close down on that seven-point gap to Gloucester. So that's why, because it's in our own hands. If we play to our full potential across all the games, which is asking a lot, to be fair, you know, I think one of the, some of those away games might on paper look very winnable, but I don't think we'll win all three. Um but it is, in theory, in our own hands. And actually, if you look at it, we've got three away and three at home. Wasps have got the same. And I think that Wasps may well finish above us when you look at their running. But they have some difficult games, like going away to Exeter, where they'll probably get nothing. But looking at Saints and looking at Bath, who are the other two teams really in and around us for the top six, they both have four away games and two home games. And I think that really will make a difference. So I think you, you, you look at that, we're already in fifth. And I think that, you know, basically if we win our three home games and pick up three to four bonus points, you know, however which way, that will be enough for us to finish in the top six. And I think if we don't do that, we're going to have let ourselves down. So that is why it's exciting, because we, well, we've got it in us now to finish top six, which is, considering the start we had to the season, um, it's quite remarkable, really. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. I'm in complete agreement that it's this idea that this is very much in our own hands. It's not like we have to go and play Saracens and Exeter and, and you know teams that are demonstrably sort of uh, better than, than than we are at this point in time. It's it's the fact that we have three relatively easy away games, or the three easiest ones you could expect in Falcons, Bristol, and uh, Worcester. And the fact that obviously we've also got home games against teams that are in and around us in that sort of top four, middle six sort of battle. And I've not seen anything from this sale team this year and from any of the other teams actually in the competition that suggests that we aren't going to be able to beat Quinns at home, Bath at home and, and Gloucester at home. And, and the fact that obviously we, we battled Bath to a draw away, we beat Gloucester away uh, and obviously that game against Quinns at the start of the season is looking more and more like an aberration than than the norm for the Sharks this season. I think that win over Leicester on Friday is so important because it's now given us such a platform to build off and really, really uh, make a a strong run at at the top six, if not the top four. Yeah. Yeah, I think the chat about top four... What I'd noticed, I just had a little game of Gloucester and Quinns' fixtures. Gloucester have got a relatively easy running for them, Wasps at home, and you know, um, their hardest game is probably as away in the last game of the season. Um, but Quinns have got um, next sort of round of fixtures, they're away at Saracens, which after their performance against Gloucester, I doubt they'll get anything out of. Um, then they're away at us. So we. If, if Quinns lose to Saracens and we beat Newcastle, we then have the chance to go into the top four the week after, um, which is, you know, getting a bit excited, but it's not unreasonable to suggest we'll win away at the team that's bottom of the table and then beat Quinns at home, which we have historically had a really good record against them at the AJ Bell. Um, so, you know, I think Quinns have got, you know, they've also got to go away to Exeter. They've got quite a tough running 
Um, I think Gloucester will be up there come the end of the season. Now, I think top four relies on us being consistent, which is a massive, you know, issue. Um, but top six certainly is within our grasp. And I think, you know, there are no easy games in the league this season, as we've seen. But if you could choose your running, we're pretty much as well as we could want to be. You know, if you, if you, if you wrote it off and said, right, pick six games, you can play whoever you want, other than playing Leicester again, I'd pretty much choose these games. And I think, you know, if we can build that feeling around the team, cut out the errors, cut out the inconsistencies, we've got a real opportunity to get into the top four this season. And I think it's sort of, it's there for us and it won't be a disaster if we don't take it. But at the same time, it is something that everyone in the team should think we are capable of it. We've got the fixtures to do it. So give it our best shot. And, you know, if we come up short, we're still in the top six. Yeah, and I think we, we say every week about how weird a season it's been and, and a, a big part of that is the fact that Exeter and Saracens are just head and shoulders above everybody and have been all season. And then I think if you look at the state of play over the first 16 weeks of the season, you'd probably say Gloucester or have been the third best team and it's only really Quinns have, have had a, a fast start and maybe they're the ones who are playing slightly unsustainably and they might come down to earth and obviously we... we Potentially saw saw that a little bit against Gloucester um, at the weekend, but I think that again, what is what is exciting about this running is the fact that we don't have to play the best two teams in the league, but we do have to play teams three and four as it stands, who are the most vulnerable to actually be for dropping out of the top four completely. Because although Sale are in a very good position, it could very much be Bath or Northampton or Wasps who ultimately um, jump over. Uh, sailor into into the top four at Quinn's or, or Gloucester's expense. So the fact that we are in the position where we are able to play these teams now, where it has a, a significant impact on our own top four chances and their top four chances, and we are not at the behest of any other teams doing us a favour by picking up a win against Quinn's or Gloucester, is is really really encouraging. And like you said, Alex, if if uh, if, if the players and the staff and everyone involved in the club can't get themselves up for this, um, you know, this running of fixtures, then you'd have to worry that there's something wrong because it, it very much feels like uh, it's completely in our own uh, in our own hands at the moment. Yeah, I, I just yeah. I mean, the other thing is, of course, is a lot of these other teams are also playing each other, and only one of them can win. So you, know, you look at Gloucester's next two games. You know, Gloucester they are at home to Wasps. So you'd expect them to beat Wasps, but Wasps are in and around us. Two points we behind. Newcastle. Yeah, we beat Newcastle. Suddenly we move a little bit beyond them. Um, and then the, the week after that, they go to Saints, who are in and around us. There's only one team that can win out of all of that. So, you know, look, it's the same for us. People will be looking at the sale fixture list going, oh, well, they've got to play Quinns and whatever. Um, but, you know, I do, I do feel quite confident. Um, looking ahead to the rest of the season um, and let's not forget that um, cup run it'll be absolutely fantastic to um, get into the semi-final or final of the Challenge Cup Absolutely well on that positive note then boys I think there's not much more to be said is though and then we might finish in the top four and we're probably going to finish in the top six <laughs> Yeah I, uh, I appreciate your optimism Alex Yeah I, I want a round table very very quickly on on how we sort of see the rest of the season going for sale. Um, I, I'm still of the opinion that the top four is maybe slightly just still out of reach, but I think given the start to the season that we had, to, to finish in the top six, which is very, very achievable now, is an absolutely fantastic result. And you look at the players who are coming in for next season and the players who have been retained and some of the players who are being rumoured as joining the club... I think a top six finish this season is an absolute minimum for what the club wants to build. I'm I'm not going to um, be too upset if we don't reach the top four because we can point to the start of the season and say that's the reason why and we fix that, then we're a top four team next year. But I think top six is an, ab- an absolute minimum is is what we need to be striving for um, and I think we're in a position to do that. But but So I'm saying top six. James? Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Minimum top six or win the Challenge Cup and qualify. We have to qualify for the Champions Cup. That should be the minimum expectation. I think what would be absolutely brilliant is if we came fifth, because that would be our best finish in the Premiership, I think, for 11 years. Yeah. Um, which would be quite remarkable. Yeah, and yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, and, and, and that marks a sea change as well. It's, it's qualifying for the top six and European Champions Cup. 
not by the sort of sixth place finish back door, you know, one point over seventh or whatever. It's a very clear sort of, even if it ultimately ends up being only by a couple of points, finishing fifth is, is obviously it's just as respectable, but there's a little bit more weight and gravitas behind it to say that this is where we belong and actually we're, we're looking up and, and finishing in the top four next season rather than trying to consolidate our place in the top six and outside the playoff places. We're going to finish in the top four. Don't plan this discussion. We're going to finish in the top four. We might lose in the semi-final. But I don't really care. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, we'll round off the podcast. There's just a couple of housekeeping items that I wanted to mention. Um, first is that uh, lost in the discussion of the Leicester game. Um, just want to say a big congratulations to Matt Postlewaite uh, for, if I'm not mistaken, he made his Premiership uh, debut uh, for the Sharks and coming on as a substitute uh, against Leicester. Um, and I also want to mention, obviously, the fantasy uh, Six Nations League that we're still running. Obviously, this weekend is the final weekend uh, of fixtures. I actually updated my fantasy team this week, so I no longer had uh, Maro Atoji and Stuart Hogg uh, in my team who hadn't played for a couple of weeks. Um, it's getting very, very competitive and very close, uh, and I'm delighted to say um, we are will be offering a very special prize um, to the winner of the league. Now, obviously, we've been teasing this for a couple of weeks, but we can now confirm that we have... Uh, courtesy um, of uh, of Sale Sharks and uh, in particular Sam Diamond. So thank you, Sam, and thank you to all involved. A signed Sale shirt to give away to the winner of the league. So if you needed any more incentive to try and go all out this week and win the Fantasy Six Nations League that we've been running uh, as a podcast over the last couple of weeks, there it is. A signed Sale Sharks shirt courtesy of the club is available to the winner. You've done very well to get through that sentence. That's what I read on this podcast, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so obviously, with one, one week of the Six Nations remaining, make sure you're updating your fantasy teams. Make sure uh, you're going all out because it's a fantastic prize and we want to make sure um, that uh, we're able to give it to someone who absolutely deserves to win it rather than just Alex. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, I'm not keeping it. I'll... Uh... I'll, I'll happily uh, happily pass it on. I don't want any more accusations of insider jobs. <laughs> um, yeah, on that note then, cheers to Opta. Cheers to you boys. Um, cheers for everyone for listening. And we will see you for our Newcastle preview next week, I believe. Um, and probably more hyperbole about from me about how we're going to finish in top four in the league, etc. Cetera, et cetera.